All of this has brought our nation and Western society to the crossroads where the future of the West is now in jeopardy. Why? For this simple reason. If nations are not grounded in an objective, universal standard of justice, which is ultimately grounded in God himself, then our future is bleak indeed. Welcome to Christ Overall, a podcast dedicated to helping the church see Christ as Lord and everything else under his feet. My name is David Schrock, and today I'm introducing Steve Wellam's long-form essay, Thinking Biblically and Theologically About Justice. All month long, we are taking time to consider civil rights and the civil rights movement. In our first podcast, we heard from Virgil Walker, one of the voices of Just Thinking. Virgil, a preacher, author, and director for G3 National Conferences, helped us to think carefully about the civil rights movement. Indeed, six decades after the 60s, the legacy of the civil rights movement continues to shape the hearts and minds of Americans. Even more, many Christians who have been influenced by the call for civil rights, equal rights, human rights, and even environmental rights, have taken the civil rights movement as an event that defines their understanding of liberty and justice for all, sometimes even elevating these events over scripture. For that reason, we felt it necessary to learn afresh about the civil rights movement, both things to learn and things to unlearn. And in the last two podcasts, that was our focus. Today, our focus shifts to something more basic. Instead of focusing on the complexities of history, we want to consider the simplicity of the triune God. And so, to help us understand justice as a human endeavor, we need to see justice as a divine action, one that is based upon God's perfect attributes. And there's no one better to help us pursue a theological treatment of biblical justice than Stephen Wellham. Indeed, by grounding justice in the immutable holiness of God, Steve shows us how our unchanging God defines justice, because he himself is the perfect standard of justice, righteousness, and holiness. Whereas codes of law, penal systems, and rules for interpreting the Constitution have changed since the 1960s, the holiness of God remained and remains the same, both in heaven and on earth. Too often, those made in God's image fail to appreciate God's justice. And often, the men and women most ardent to pursue justice actually make laws in their own fallen image. And so, the pursuit of justice ends in another cycle of injustice. For that reason, we do well to return to the mountain of God, where the Holy One of Israel resides. And as we approach the throne of God, revealed in His Word, we begin to understand what justice is, because we learn who justice is, namely, the triune God. To put it simply, God the Lord is just. And in this essay, Steve Wellam helps us move from the doctrine of God to the doctrine of justice, whereby loving justice comes from loving God. In truth, as justice issues continue to animate debate through our country, overtaking college campuses, even spilling violently into our streets, we desperately need to know what the standard of justice is. And in this long-form essay, that is what Steve Wellam gives us. By now, Steve is a familiar voice on the Christ Overall podcast. But for newer listeners, let me offer one word of introduction. Dr. Wellam received his PhD at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago, and he has spent more than 25 years teaching at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. During that time, he has written many works of theology, but coming this January, the first volume of his systematic theology will be released. So stay tuned for that, or go pre-order that book online. Until then, you can continue to find his writings at Christ Overall, including this latest essay. The title of this essay is Thinking Biblically and Theologically About Justice, 
And in what follows, Steve will bring us back to the Bible to better evaluate the civil rights of yesterday by the justice of eternity. Even better, he will help us know and adore the sovereign God of justice and righteousness. So let's listen in. Thinking Biblically and Theologically About Justice by Stephen J. Wellam Read by Kevin McClure Our world is consumed with talk about justice and specifically social justice. Yet similar to how our world has redefined the word love, most discussions of justice lack definition and any sense of a standard of what justice actually is. In fact, just as we're told it's loving for a mother to take the life of her unborn child for her own psychological health, or it's loving to end a marriage so that couples can pursue their own self-actualization, which is another word for selfishness, we're also told that it is just to do many unjust or lawless acts. For example, it's deemed just to steal from hardworking people to redistribute their wealth to those who do not work, even though they're fully capable of doing so. Or it's deemed just to allow men who identify as women to compete in women's sports, even though it's completely unjust for the actual woman who compete against them. Or as we were lectured in 2020 during the Black Lives Matter riots held throughout the country, it was deemed just to allow rioters to destroy private and public property and even to harm people because they were quote unquote righteously opposing perceived racial injustices. Such actions were deemed just, even though they were lawless acts. Indeed, as with the word love, justice has now become a meaningless concept in much of our current discourse. The consequences of such a situation, however, are significant. Although for many today, the concept of justice and social justice has lost its meaning, the truth is that these concepts have simply been redefined. The crucial question is, according to whose definition and by what standard is justice redefined? That is the question this essay will answer. A few preliminaries, history, epistemology, and method. In Western society, due to the influence of Christianity, there's been a fairly clear sense of what justice is because it was basically defined by biblical standards. But as the West has thrown off the Bible's influence and moved steadily away from a Christian view of the world, one of the defining marks of our secularized, pluralistic society is a rejection of the God of the Bible as the source and standard of truth and morality. In the place of God and His Word revelation, we've substituted the idol of self and along with it a quote-unquote constructivist view of truth and morality which at its core is naturalistic, relative, and ultimately incoherent. What has been the result of such a substitution? Certainly not human flourishing, freedom, love, and true justice. Rather, the opposite has occurred. By rejecting the influence of Christianity on our concepts of truth and morality, we've undermined the warrant for an objective standard of truth and morality. In its place, we're left with only the finite, subjective, and fallen human quote-unquote identity constructions of various groups vying for raw political power. In fact, this quote-unquote new view of truth and morality is more indebted to naturalistic, postmodern, and Marxist categories so that reality is now viewed solely through the lens of race, gender, and intersectionality, and people are simplistically categorized as either an oppressor 
or the oppressed. In this thoroughly non-Christian view of the true good and beautiful, the goal is to destroy the quote-unquote traditional structures and systems deemed to be oppressive and redistribute power and resources from oppressors to victims in pursuit of equality of outcome. Today, this is what our society means by the phrase social justice. But what is disturbing about this redefined view of justice is that the epistemological ground on which the system stands is quicksand. Even the determination of who the oppressor and who the oppressed are is relative and without an objective basis to discern truth from error and good from evil. Such a view ends in totalitarianism, statism, and the destruction of human life, as history well reminds us. All of this has brought our nation and Western society to the crossroads where the future of the West is now in jeopardy. Why? For this simple reason. If nations are not grounded in an objective, universal standard of justice, which is ultimately grounded in God himself, then our future is bleak indeed. No society can flourish built upon a relative standard of truth and morality. History has taught us that either anarchy will result, or more commonly, totalitarianism will rear its ugly head. But note, this is a totalitarianism that is completely arbitrary and capricious, since it too is grounded in a philosophical and moral relativism. For this reason, Christians must think carefully about what justice is, and to do so requires sound biblical and theological thinking. Unfortunately, even some within our evangelical churches have confused our culture's desire for social justice, which is more informed by secular postmodern categories, with true biblical justice. But if Christians are to make headway in this discussion, we must first ask what justice is in relation to God before we speak about what justice is in the world. If we do not ground justice in an objective, universal standard, namely God himself, then the concept of justice becomes only relative, which inevitably results in a disastrous application of so-called justice in the world. In this article, I want to discuss the warrant for a universal, objective basis for justice by establishing it in God himself. Any talk of justice must first be grounded in God and his revealed world. And I'll do so in three steps. First, to speak of justice in relation to God, I must say something about God's attributes and how justice is essential to him. Second, I will describe a biblical view of justice by first unpacking what God's justice is within himself, then in relation to his exercise of justice in the world, and I will note that we can know what justice is due to God's word revelation. Third, I'll conclude with a final reflection. God is just, thinking rightly about God's attributes. God is just means that justice is one of God's moral attributes and that it is essential to him. Let us unpack this statement by making three points. First, an attribute is not something that we attribute to God as if it is a part of God. Why? Because God is not divisible into parts. 
His divine nature is singular and simple meaning that his attributes are coexistent with who he is. In other words, God's attributes are what God is in his entire being and perfection as the one true God. Attributes are not abstract qualities that exist independently of him. God is not dependent on anything outside of himself. God is his attributes, and each attribute is identical to God's nature. For this reason, God does not merely possess love, holiness, and justice. He is love, holy, and just. This does not mean that we cannot make distinctions between God's attributes, but in doing so, we must never think that God's attributes are distinct parts of his nature. God is his attributes, totally self-sufficient and perfect. Second, all of God's attributes are essential to him, meaning that they're all necessary for God to be God unlike creatures who are composed of essential and accidental attributes. The latter term refers to attributes that can be lost while a thing still remains what it is. Those are accidental attributes. For example, we could lose a leg in a car crash or our mental abilities due to a debilitating disease, but we would still remain essentially human. But this is not true of God. God cannot lose or gain any attributes and still be God. God is who he is in the fullness of his being and life. God's attributes are essential to him and thus necessary to his being. This is why we must also distinguish between what God is in himself apart from the world and the exercise of his attributes in relation to the world. This is especially important as we think about God's relation to a fallen world that he judges and to a people that he redeems by grace. God is love, holy, and just apart from the world. But in relation to the world, especially a fallen world, God displays his wrath and judgment against human sin. But wrath is not an essential attribute of God. It is the expression of God's holiness and justice toward a fallen world. Let me say that again. Wrath is not an essential attribute of God. It is the expression of God's holiness and justice towards a fallen world. In other words, God within himself is essentially holy, love, and just. He is not wrath. Third, Divine justice is best understood as a moral attribute of God, along with holiness and goodness. These attributes remind us that God is not only the absolute standard of objective moral norms, but also he's the one who upholds his own glory in the redemption of his people and in his judgment of all sin and evil. We may distinguish God's moral attributes, but given divine simplicity, these attributes are all aspects of one another. For example, think of the relation between God's holiness and justice. Holiness speaks of consecration or devotion towards something, which then carries over to the moral realm. To be holy unto God is to honor and love what he loves, which demands specific moral entailments. Within God himself, holiness 
is a way of describing God's holy love. As Gerhardus Voss reminds us, holiness is, quote, God's determination towards himself, end quote. It is, quote, that attribute of God by which he seeks and loves himself as the highest good and demands as reasonable goodness from the creatures to be consecrated to him, end quote. Holiness also conveys a primary metaphysical sense that necessitates its secondary moral sense. Regarding the former, holiness is associated with God's aseity and uniqueness. We see this in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, and Isaiah 40, 18 through 25. Regarding the latter, God's uniqueness, holiness is associated with God as the objective moral standard of goodness, justice, and righteousness, so that all that stands in opposition to God's will and nature is sin. Furthermore, since God is holy in relation to the world, especially a fallen one, God must act in holy justice against sin. He cannot overlook it. God cannot deny himself and still be God. God's holy love for himself, his name, and his glory is the supreme good. This is why Louis Burkhoff argues that God's justice is a, quote, mode of his holiness, end quote. And Voss insists that God's righteousness is God working outwardly to, quote unquote, reveal and maintain his holiness. Holiness, then, is distinguished from other attributes such as justice, but ultimately it's inseparable from it. And both attributes are rightly viewed as essential to God in himself apart from the world. What is justice? God is just and his exercise of justice in the world. At its heart, justice and righteousness means a, quote, strict adherence to the law, end quote. And it always carries a legal or forensic sense. The standard of justice is God himself, and we know what is just due to his revelation of himself in creation and specifically scripture. In all of God's external works, he acts justly and righteously, consistent with his own will and nature. As the just one, God requires moral conformity of his creatures to his moral demand. God is the Lord, indeed, the judge of the whole earth who always does what is right. We see this in Genesis 18.25. Justice, then, means that God deals with humans according to their adherence or lack of conformity to his laws. See Deuteronomy 32.4, Psalms 19.8, 36.6, Isaiah 45.19-21, Acts 17.31. As the just one, God acts impartially, demanding that his creatures do likewise, like in Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18. This is something our society misunderstands due to their rejection of God as the standard of what is just. As applied to humans, alongside its legal sense, righteousness can also describe what is well-pleasing to God or to a godly person, and thus it takes on strong ethical overtones, like in Isaiah 5, 7, or Micah 6, 8, or Matthew 5, 6, 10, and 20. With this basic definition in place, I'll make two points regarding God's justice, both in relation to himself 
and his exercise of justice in the world. A biblical view of justice, important distinctions. Let's describe God's justice and thus a biblical view of justice by the following distinctions. First, God is essentially holy, just, and righteous. The only warrant for universal objective ground for justice is God himself. God is the law because his will and nature determines what is right and just. For this reason, a Christian view of justice stands in total contrast to our secular postmodern society that views justice as a mere human social construct. Second, in God's external works, we see the display and exercise of God's justice, which is the outworking of his holiness, quote, by which he maintains himself over against every violation of his holiness and shows in every respect that he is the holy one, end quote. That's from Burkhoff. In God's works, he demands and acts in justice consistent with himself, and he does so for his own glory. You see this in Isaiah 45, 22 through 23, and Isaiah 45, 48, Romans 3, 26 and 15, 5 and 15, 9 through 11, and Revelation 15, 3 through 4 and Revelation 19, 2. In God's external works, it's also important to distinguish different aspects of God's justice. First, there is rectoral or legislative justice. God is our creator and Lord establishes just laws for us to obey for his glory and our good. Given who God is, his demand on us is absolute, thus requiring perfect obedience from us. First in Adam as our covenant head, Genesis 2, 16 through 17, and by extension to each one of us. God has established laws by which we are to live. Specifically, God's demand to love him and our neighbor, first given in creation, or what is known as natural law, like in Psalm 16, 1 through 6, and Romans 1, 18 through 32, and then subsequently given further specificity in the biblical covenants. Depending on the covenant, God commands obedience to specific laws that later change due to the unfolding of God's plan and the fulfillment that results in Christ in the new covenant. In other contexts, these mutable or changeable laws are known as positive laws and are distinct from the moral law that is universal for all people. For example, under the old covenant, circumcision, food laws, hygiene laws, etc. were to be obeyed, but due to Christ's work, were no longer directly under the old covenant as a covenant. We see this in Mark 7, 17 through 23, Acts 10, 9 through 16, 1 Corinthians 7, 19, and 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Yet from creation to Christ, God's universal moral demand is given in each covenant, like we see in Mark 12, 29 through 31. And we are to obey all of God's commands in light of its fulfillment in Christ and through the lens of the new covenant as in Galatians 6.2. In addition, God has enacted his laws through God-ordained authorities, which operate in their own sphere. The family, Genesis 2.18-25, the church, Matthew 18.15-20, and the government, Matthew 22.21 and Romans 
1 through 7. For a society to be just, these God-ordained authorities must follow God's law. For example, governments are not autonomous. They are ordained by God, and the prime responsibility of government is to uphold what is good and to punish evildoers. Thus, they're called to act according to justice. The standard by which they are to make these judgments is God's moral law given to all people in creation, which minimally includes the sanctity of human life, the upholding of male and female, the protection of heterosexual marriage and the family, and the establishment of an environment where private property and honest work can take place. When a government does not uphold these moral goods, it's acting in a lawless and unjust manner. Second, there is distributive justice by which God administers rewards, i.e. remunerative, and punishments, i.e. retributive, for right and wrong action. Much of God's administration of justice is done through the authorities that he has established, i.e. in the family, the church, and the government. When these authorities do not uphold God's moral demands, they are unjust. Further discussion of God's exercise of justice in the world. Let's unpack God's distributive justice, whereby he exercises his justice in the world a bit more. First, in thinking about what we already talked about, remunerative justice, uh, which we get from Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 13, 2 Chronicles 6, 15, Psalm 58, 11, Micah 7, 20, Matthew 25, 21, Luke 17, 10, Romans 2, 7, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Hebrews 11, 26. In thinking about remunerative justice, we must view it in light of God's covenant relationships and promises. God owes us nothing, but we owe him everything. God only rewards us due to his covenant promises and demands. In the creation covenant, God required perfect obedience from Adam with an attached reward, namely, to be confirmed in righteousness. But given Adam's sin and its subsequent transmission to all of humanity, we have broken God's commands and deserve only divine judgment. For this reason, our receiving any good from God is not due to us. It is solely due to God's grace, both common and saving. In God's promise of redemption, in Genesis 3.15, He has graciously chosen to redeem us by the provision of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone rendered perfect covenant obedience. However, before Christ came and perfectly obeyed for us and paid for our sin, the biblical covenants unfolded God's promise as they prophetically anticipated Christ's coming. In the Old Testament, the writers of Scripture constantly appealed to the quote-unquote righteousness of God as their ground of confidence and hope. We see this in Psalm 4.1, 35.24, Isaiah 45.8, 46.13, and 51.6. In this use, God's righteousness may be understood as God's covenantal faithfulness. However, in the Bible's storyline, an apparent tension results. In the covenant, God demands perfect obedience to his commands tied to his own internal nature, but we do not render it. Yet God has promised to keep his promises. 
the resolution to how God keeps his promises and remains true to himself is ultimately only resolved in Christ and his cross. See this in Romans 3, 21 through 26. For it is only in Christ that God's absolute demand is met and God's justice is satisfied. And now, due to our covenantal union with him, all of God's blessings are ours, which means that any reward we receive is solely due to God's provision and grace, like in Philippians 2.13. No doubt, God disciplines his people. See this in Proverbs 3.12 and Hebrews 12.5. And he rewards us. Matthew 6, 1 through 2, 5, 16, Luke 12, 32, Hebrews 6, 10. But undergirding all of God's rewards is his initiative and grace in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Second, in thinking about retributive justice, given that God is holy and just, it means that God judges human conduct by an absolute moral standard, namely himself and his revealed will to all people known by natural and special revelation. God as the judge condones no sin, but judges all sin according to the absolute standard of his law. In scripture, related to God as judge of the world who always does what is right, Genesis 18.25, is his holy wrath against our sin and all evil that stands in opposition to him. No doubt God is patient, gracious, and merciful, but never in such a way that he denies himself. God will never overlook our sin. From the very beginning, especially in light of sin, God's retributive justice is evident. Genesis 2, 17, 3, 1 through 24, 6, 5 through 7, and so on. Indeed, the reason for the incarnation of the divine son and his cross is tied to a proper grasp of retributive justice as in Romans 3, 25 through 26. Nevertheless, retributive justice is often questioned and disputed, especially by non-Orthodox theology and our larger society. In the post-Reformation era, the Socinians rejected retributive justice by arguing that God's so-called justice was not an essential attribute of God, but only due to the voluntary exercise of his will. For the Socinians and many today, God was under no necessity to punish sin since God's law is only a function of God's will, according to them. God may decide to punish sin, but there's no necessity for him to do so. And this denies the need for Christ's work to redeem us. However, here's the problem with the Socinian view and its many current expressions. It uncouples God's execution of justice from his nature. In the Socinian view, justice is not essential to God, but only a voluntary exercise of his will, which is a fundamental denial of what it means for God to be just. But the actual reason why God must punish sin is that it is against him. God is not like a human judge who adjudicates a law external to him. God is the law. When God judges, he remains true to himself, and thus his own perfect moral demands, hence the reason why there is a collision between our sin and God's justice, which is only resolved in the cross, and a cross that actually pays for our sin. 
Like the Socinians, many today reject retributive justice for similar reasons. For those who do, Christian theology, specifically one's understanding of God, sin, Christology, the necessity and nature of the cross, and the nature of our justification before God, is forever changed. Furthermore, such rejections of retributive justice ultimately undercut the warrant for a universal, objective morality grounded in God's own will and nature, and it leaves us with no objective ground for justice. Sadly, this is the path that our Western society has taken, and we're now beginning to see the devastating consequences of the rejection of the Christian view of justice. Concluding Reflection As I noted above, it's vital that we distinguish between a biblical view of justice from our current secular postmodern understanding of it. Biblically, to act justly toward one another is always according to an objective standard, God's authoritative, inerrant, and unchanging word. However, for our society, justice and social justice are concepts that are unhinged from an objective standard, which is now leading to the rise of the abuse of power and a redefinition of what is truly just, good, and right. For this reason, our current cultural voices who cry for justice and then embrace abortion or deny a biblical view of sexuality in the family, or who argue that logical thinking is racist, or who endorse the destruction of private property, or who embrace the unlimited power of the state, these people are not acting justly, but in a lawless, ungodly, and destructive manner. In such a context, the church must clearly define what justice is according to scripture and distinguish true justice from current forms of so-called social justice. Today, there is probably no greater worldview clash than between a biblical view of justice and so-called social justice of our secular postmodern society. What is needed is for the church to speak to this issue with clarity, to live out what true justice is, to proclaim the truth of the gospel as our only hope for this fallen world, and to courageously take a stand against the growing tyranny of our age.